Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 75. This week, Anthony loses his beans, Chris evolves, and we talk about gaming terminology at the table. We'll also have a special announcement about our next listener feedback episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. Welcome to the episode, everyone. We're so glad to have you join us yet again. Unfortunately, this week, Drew will not be able to join us. He is once again rotting that crazy rondelle. And Daniel is celebrating his sister's wedding. So congratulations to everyone in the family, and we look forward to having Daniel back really, really soon. So let's get into the episode. Anthony, how you been doing these last couple of weeks? Good. Good. I'm doing good. All right. Getting some games in? Getting, getting psyched for Gen Con coming up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not the first one so much as the second one, but yeah. <laughs> I did bring in a whole bunch of games to work, and I'm like prodding people trying to get them to, to play them. So. Mm. I think we should have a, an episode just about sneaking board games into various situations and seeing how it works right? out. <laughs> now, there's an empty conference room with uh, bookshelves in it, and I was like, well, I will put stuff on those bookshelves and see if people play them. Uh, thus far, nobody has taken the bait, but it is they are there. I think this is one of those jokes like, how do you know when you're a redneck? Well, how do you know when you're a board gamer? Well, when you walk into a room and you look at a table and you're like, damn, I could play so many games on that table. <laughs> right? <laughs> Those are some really nice shells. I could fit so many games up there. <laughs> and I have. Exactly. I think the weirdest thing is when I, when I go to the supermarket and I'm walking around the aisles and I see baggies, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this fits all of my meeples in these bags. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Like this, uh, our buddy Dave said something about wanting to play Spirium today. So I'm like, oh, I got to go to work and bring it home. <laughs> and my buddy at work's like, you're already taking them home? I'm like, well, no, because this other guy wants to play. He's like, man, you are such a nerd. <laughs> and this is I, the guy who has a comic book podcast. So ah. it's, it's good that um, I'm out nerding the nerds. It's there good. you go. Well, Dave, you may remember him back from episode 73. It's funny because Dave sends me pictures of all the games in his trunk. He's like, just by the way, I got games in my trunk. And I'm like, all right, man, hold on a second. I'm like, here's the games in my trunk. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think you're talking to? I got games in my trunk. (laughs) I think that should be our new cat. games in their trunk. That's right. I think that should be our our new cat phrase. I got games in my trunk. (laughs) Sounds like a euphemism, but it's not. It's not. It's it's literally true. I have games in my trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many games in there. So, yeah, gaming is a thing, and I've been getting down to some meetups. And one really interesting thing happened at a new meetup that I've been going to. Two things. First off, the organizer for the meetup was doing something that I hadn't seen before. He actually required everyone in a, a primarily Euro board gaming group to actually not jump into their euro games but actually play a social party game now you can imagine at first everyone cringed and since i was new i was like wait a minute wait where's the camera because this is not right man (laughs) i brought caverna what do you mean i have to play taboo (laughs) and uh he actually forced me and several other people to play taboo 
And I'm glad he did because it was a really nice idea because, you know, you go to these board game groups and you may see a couple of people that you know, but oftentimes you don't get to play with everybody. And this social party game was, while very simple and silly and dumb, it gave me a nice chance to actually meet everyone and learn their names. So bravo to him. And somebody else in the group, Danielle, actually was doing something interesting that I hadn't seen before also. You know how like those little bead um, bracelets maybe you see at camp where there's like a, like a very thin piece of wire and you can make your name and put some kind of colored beads on it, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, actually, she did something smart because we were meeting up at Panera. And what she was doing is when new members were coming to the group, she was actually making these little bracelets which was, like I said, just basically a little piece of wire and then these little beads where you put your name together and, and she would ask you what colors you want and she'd make this little bracelet. And I was like, this is very weird because this bracelet's really, really tiny for my giant wrist. What am I supposed to do with this? But being that we solicit the business and we purchase food and drink from them, everyone had drink cups. You took this little bracelet with your name on it and dropped it around your straw and it actually had your name. So for the rest of the night, everybody knew who you were and didn't have to kind of go guessing. So another really great meetup group idea. And uh, I'm always surprised that people are coming up with new and innovative ways to build a game group. And these were two brand new ones. And thanks to everyone there that did an outstanding job, felt really welcome, got to know everybody and got to play some great games. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's always cool when people uh, put that much thought into the group they're putting on. It's true. It's a lot of work to run a meetup or a board game group. And even if it doesn't feel absolutely right, just go along with it because it does mean more to the whole group cohesion than, oh, I'm going to play this game that I really want to play. Make a group, strengthen the group, and then you'll have players hopefully forever. So now that we have players forever, let's talk about the games that we've been playing and the news that's been in the board game world. Let's shout it from the tabletop. Shout it from the tabletops. <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. So for our shouting from the tabletop this week, now you may remember that the Origins Gaming Convention just recently wrapped up. And part of it was the always interesting, always distracting, always unusual Origin Game Awards. So we talked about three in particular, best board game, best card game, and best children's slash family slash party game. So that was a category that had three types of games kind of lodged into one. And none of these categories made really any kind of sense. And somehow, some way, they actually came up with award winners. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about those. Now, first off, best board game. And with the Origins Awards, they did something which I actually thought was smart. And not only did they award a prize for the best of whatever the category is, but they also did a fan favorite. So the best board game was Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, that's a board game. (laughs) Now, if you haven't played Sheriff of Nottingham, this is a Dice Tower Essentials game. This is from Arcane Wonders. And in this game, one player plays a sheriff who's trying to stop contraband from getting through. And you, as somebody who's trying to smuggle contraband through, can put stuff that's legal or stuff that's illegal but worth more money in a little little satchel. And then the sheriff has to decide whether or not they want to open the satchel. If they do open the satchel, then if there's contraband in it, you have to pay them money. If there isn't, they have to pay you money. So it's a bluffing game. 
it's a light game. It's a fun game. The components are really good. The artwork is really nice. It's kind of a social, fun kind of game. But basically, it's a deck of cards. And it's these little kind of envelope satchel things. And that's it. So I don't understand how this kind of ranks as best board game when there's a category that says best card game. But I don't know. It's Sheriff of Nottingham. Maybe it's one of those things where they snuck it through. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody noticed. Thank it's you. very just, thematic that way. Just around the back. Don't even don't don't ask. No big deal. <laughs> I'm carrying a board game with me for the best board game category. All right, Vassal. Sure, sure. Okay, you could sneak that in. That's fine. That's fine. We'll <laughs> we'll call it a board game. <laughs> well, now on the better side, the fan favorite winner was Dead of Winter by Plat Hat Games. What do you think about that one, Anthony? Uh, yeah, that makes more sense. I think that makes significantly <laughs> more sense. Since that's also what's going to win every other award. It's true. Yeah. And, and also because it has a board. <laughs> that too. That helps. Yeah, I think, I think if your game doesn't have a board, it's not that it couldn't be nominated for best board game. It just has a little bit of an uphill climb. So <laughs> Apparently, it, it doesn't matter. So what do we know? <laughs> well, Did a Winter did win our fan favorite for the brackets, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. The winning vote for our side. And I'm sure it's going to be right up there with the uh, the Dice Star Awards getting announced this week. So we'll see. Absolutely. Now, the next category, which Sheriff of Nottingham would have been better placed, is Best Card Game. And the winner was Splendor by Asmodee Games. Now, this makes sense, right? Because this is actually cards. I mean, there are cards in the game. <laughs> Again, I'm not really sure that works. I mean, Splendor's really known for its poker chip gems, so I don't know. Actually, it would be funny because Splendor actually, for me at least, feels a little bit more like a board game because the tiles, because the cards are actually laid down on the table. So it actually has more of a board game feel, but it definitely is a card game, so I understand them winning that. The fan favorite was Star Realms by White Wizard Games. What do you think about that one, Anthony? Again, that makes a little more sense to me. I think, like, if you're going to pick a card game, it's going to be the one that kind of came out of nowhere and sold tens of thousands of copies. Sure. It's a great card game. It's actually one of my favorite card games for last year and probably for the last couple of years. And it plays so well, it plays so simple, and it's just a deck of cards. So bravo to everyone at White Wizard Games. Now, our favorite category has to be the best children slash family slash party. Now, the winner is The Hare and Tortoise by Yellow Games. So, I don't know. I guess that fits best children's game, although I don't know if it fits a party game so much or even maybe a family game. Yeah, I mean, they lumped them all together, so it's got to be one of the three. Get lucky to find one that covers all three bases. But at least this one covers one of the words in the name (laughs) of the award. It's true. Give them credit for that. Yes, and the fan favorite was Gravwell, Escape from the Ninth Dimension by Renegade Game Studio. Now, we know that Daniel is extremely happy about this. <laughs> yeah, but even he admitted when we talked about this before that it doesn't really fit any of those either. So It was um, really weird. I mean, they honestly picked one of each, right? The Heron Taurus is, is a great children's game. Gravwell, I don't know if it's a family or party game. It's really neither. And then they had Archer, which I don't know, maybe is a party game. It's definitely maybe. not a children's game. It's, yeah, the opposite of a children's game. So <laughs> it was an interesting category. Yeah, some strangeness going on at Origin. So I don't know what to say about that other than okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think a, another category, we, we kind of went over this very briefly, was best historical board game. And the winner was Heroes of Normandy by Yellow Games, which is not really a historical board game. But nonetheless, it has Normandy and it has heroes in it. So historical? Yeah, it's a word game-ish thing. Okay. Close so, enough. <laughs> well, does that mean that uh, Rune Wars, because it's a battle game, is best historical game? Yes. Okay, I'll I'll accept that. That's I am the best fine with whatever that. we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. All right, so that is the Origin Game Awards for 2015. I got to tell you, you know, it's crazy. It's wacky. It makes absolutely no sense. It bothers the heck out of me. But, man, are these crazy fun. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to 2016 and see what random games they pick out of a hat next year. Yeah, yeah, because God knows where they came up with these. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that said, now on to our Acquisition Disorders. And now, our Acquisition Disorders. Acquisition Disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See? That's not too much, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you might need to... So for Acquisition Disorders this week, I'm going to continue the theme of wackiness. Now, we talked about the Origin Game Awards. Now, let's talk about some other games that are kind of thrown together and smashed together. So I'm going to talk about Smash Up Munchkin. Now, you know Smash Up, and you know Munchkin, and you know I love them both. So why would I not love Smash Up Munchkin? Now, Smash Up Munchkin is a Smash Up game. This is a traditional Smash Up game. You have these different races, and you put two decks together, and then you have your minions, and you have your actions... And then you play them on different bases. And then all hilarity ensues. But this time, you actually have the artwork from Munchkin. Which is outstanding because the Munchkin artwork is adorable. And it isn't a lot of information released about this yet. They just released some cards. So, for example, you have an unexpected party action. And it says, play an extra minion on a base where you have no minions. And it has artwork very reminiscent of The Hobbit. Or you have Run Away. And, you know, it's just some really cute artwork. And there's a lot of things from Munchkin that you will kind of recognize. So you might have the boots of running really, really fast. You might have the Hippogriff. You might have the Web Troll or the Poultry Geist. So as a fan of Munchkin, this is an instant pickup. As a fan of Smash Up, I'm going to really love playing this and hopefully bring my family up from the Munchkin level to the new level of Smash Up, and hopefully up to heavier games later on. Awesome. Yeah, that's like a perfect fit for you. Now you get something else for your giant box, and <laughs> exactly. it's Munchkin-related. <laughs> and I, it could help me with the existential anxiety of never being able to finish that box completely. So <laughs> It's one I, more in there. And I, I mean, Munchkin has, man, it has so many different genres to it, so they could just be here forever with... You know, the Cthulhu theme, the zombie theme, the space theme, the superhero theme, the pirate theme, the spy theme. I mean, just there could just be an almost unlimited number here. So this is a rich vein to mine, and I'm so glad that Smash Up and Munchkin are doing this together. All right, so that's my acquisition. What about you, Anthony? What are you looking forward to getting? All right, so this last week uh, it was announced that there's going to be a new expansion for War of the Rain. So that was cool. I think it comes out in November, so probably we'll see it around slash after Essen. 
this year, but it is a full new expansion, the second one, and it's going to come with all sorts of new miniatures, which means I'm super psyched. Awesome. Um, Ents, Deadmen of Dunharrow, Great Eagles, Corsairs, Wild Hillmen. Uh, they might be cheating a little because I know the molds exist for at least two of these, but uh. it is cool that now we're going to get them for the main game. So, I'm not going to complain. Still hmm. cool. Um, new special event cards. Don't really know yet exactly what it adds to the game, but... Um, you know, throwing in new stuff with the new figures and really just blowing out some of the stuff that's already in the game by introducing it as something you can drop down on the board. Super cool to me. We'll be excited to see what comes in this box. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this too. I picked up War of the Ring at Dreamation and I love this game so much. I had so much fun when we played together and having an expansion to it is outstanding. I can't wait to get this to the table. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, um, I you know I have the original I have the second edition I shouldn't say the original um, I have the second edition have the expa- the first expansion have the Treebeard promo have the little tin for the cards so nice. it's one of the few games where I have all the stuff so of course I have to get the new expansion <laughs> that's what this segment is right yeah um, <laughs> it's a disorder but it'll be a good one so I'm excited for this oh that sounds great. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders for this week. Now on to our At the Table with BGA. And now, At the Table with BGA. All right, so Anthony, what did you get to the table this week? All right, cool. So we went to the mall a week or so ago to catch a movie and then, you know, hung out and played some board games in the food court. As part of that manly trip to the mall, we uh, played some board games. Which Were they awesome. manly board games? Um, yeah, sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The first game is one that Daniel loves, and so talking about it now without him on the podcast feels a little wrong, but it was a lot of fun, and it was probably the longest one we played, which is, you know, funny in its own right, because it's not a super long game, and that's Bonanza. Uh, This is a game that I had played once before a super long time ago, had not actually played all the way through all the different mechanisms of it. And we played with a lot of people, so it actually went pretty quickly. Uh, the deck ran out almost, it was almost completely gone by the third time through. So super fast, but you know the idea of which, of course, being that you can't rearrange any of the cards in your hand as they come in, and you are wheeling and dealing with other people at the table trying to coordinate to get the beans you need and make sure they don't get too many of the beans they need while you tr- score up your uh, your beans. There's not a whole lot more to it, but it's pretty fun. I like the idea of the, not being able to move the cards in your hand because it forces you to think about what you're going to be doing the next time through. You know you can only pull one or two cards out of your hand, so you really only need to have the first two cards in there taken care of, but you also don't want to give away good cards to other people just to clear some space and make sure you have the right cards in the line. So you're constantly thinking and tweaking and moving but you don't want to think too far ahead because there's so many other people going in between you, especially with us. I think we had like eight people or nine people playing. So awesome game. I think with that many people, it just makes it that much better of a game. And I had a lot of fun with it. So Daniel, good job picking a game that's awesome. Yeah, this is Uwe Rosenberg's kind of beneath the radar classic gem that most people don't know about or don't think about when they think about Uwe Rosenberg. And I got a chance to play this a long time ago, and the first time I did play it, it did throw my brain for a loop because you can't move your hand, and you always want to move the cards in your hand, and then you have to plant. So that 
first being in the line has to go down. So there is some wheeling and dealing. There is some moving and shaking. And it was funny because we had a table full of Euro gamers. And yet it was the social party game person, Ariel, who really just blew us away because she knew how to wheel and deal throughout the entire game. And the rest of us were like, hmm, looking at my hand, trying to decide. <laughs> and yeah. she's like, we're all thinking. Why would <laughs> she's like thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and she just ran away with that game. We all did well, but you know, she came out of nowhere and it was just so funny. It's a lot of fun. I'm surprised. I, you know, the first time playing it was like so-so about this, but I would play this game again. It's definitely a play for me. For sure. Yeah, I like it a lot. I don't really have space in my collection for these kinds of games that play like five, six, seven, eight people. Um, just don't have those kind of groups over at my house generally with the kids. But if I did, it would be one I'd want to pick up. It's fun and it has a little bit more strategy to it than a typical high player account game like this. So it's sure. just always nice. I don't know. Would you say it's like the quintessential set collection game can you think of a better or a more interesting set collection game than this no no i mean i mentioned it on our um when we did the uh, if you like pandemic as a set collection game and i i think it's one of the better ones because it's that's exactly what it is it's all you're doing it's all you're doing yeah the the way you have to manipulate your hand and trade with people to kind of make those sets happen that's that's the game that's it that's awesome Hmm, that's Bonanza. So the game that I got to the table this week is Evolution. Now, way back when, we got an early version of this, and we talked about it on the podcast. Now, Evolution's an interesting game because it's these prehistoric times where you have these, I would say, dinosaurs and early mammals and lizards and different types of creatures, and you are working on the behalf of, I guess, the creator as you are adding and taking away genetic material to make these races unique and hopefully to help these races survive the carnivores and the other plant eaters from eating up all the food. Now, when we played this game, it was very simple, had very simple mechanics. And in particular, you're going to get a race which is basically this really odd little kind of punch board where you place these two little cubes in there. And one track manages the body size and one track manages the population of your particular creature. Now, as the game goes on, you'll get a hand of cards and you'll be able to discard those cards to raise the body size and population or play those cards to add traits. Now, when we played it the first time, there weren't as many traits as they are now. So some of the traits are ambush, burrowing, long neck. Anthony remembers that one. Um, pack hunting, scavenger, intelligence. And what these special abilities allow you to do is to get food easy, to protect your creatures, and if you're a carnivore, to be able to knock out the other player's creatures. Now, the final version, and this version was kickstarted originally and then kickstarted a second time, actually has some really interesting components. So it actually has a little kind of mat where it's the watering hole where you place the food. It has, I'm guessing it's a brontosaurus, although, I don't know, I think there's some science guys out there who may differ on which type of, I don't know, first player giant dinosaur meeple it was, but... You know, it's all right. It probably adds to the expense of the game, but it has some nice cloth bags, and the game is basically you're upgrading your creature, you're eating food, you're avoiding predators, and each round you're placing the food that you've eaten into the bag, and at the end of the game you pile out that food, and whoever has the most food at the end of the game, including your size and population, 
wins the game. So it's a light, fast, fun game. We played with the full complement of players. And in the end, the person who had the three creatures, including a carnivore, and the only carnivore, actually was able to win the game. Now, this is surprising because we played this game several times and we all felt that the carnivore was underpowered because there were so many ways the plant eaters that could avoid them. Now, in particular, the person did really well with pack hunting, which was a new trait that wasn't in the game that we originally play in the prototype fashion. So for pack hunting, this species' body size is equal to its population plus its body size when determining if it can attack another species. This is big. This is really huge, no pun intended. And it added a lot to the game. And a couple of people were like, ah, I really wanted to go carnivore. I had no idea. It was actually powerful this time. But she just squeaked out the win, and it was a good game. And I have to send my thanks out to Jay, who taught the game. Jay's an outstanding teacher. He also taught me Abyss, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago. And he did an outstanding job with a lot of people. Some players were brand new. And it's always hard to kind of manage a new group like that and get everyone on the same page. And he did really an outstanding job. Thank you so much, Jay, for teaching the game. He is so kind and considerate for that type of situation. And uh, he was part of uh, George's group, which I mentioned earlier. George was the one who instituted the social game at the beginning of the meetup, which was outstanding. So evolution, it's a play. It kind of moved from a dodge to a play. So I'm glad to see that the final version actually has corrected some of its earlier problems. I know the Kickstarter added some cards which were made to do so. And uh, if you haven't got a chance to play Evolution, I recommend it. Awesome. I mean, that's great because when we played the prototype, it was a situation where I actually think I was the one who liked it the most, despite some of the issues we had. Um, but it was clear that it was not quite balanced yet. It needed some more work. The designer had actually said that there was some additional stuff being changed while we were playing that prototype. So... It's awesome to hear that the final version kind of fixes some of that stuff and moves from a dodge to a play because I wanted to like it. I really did. Yeah, I think the upgrades and the cards really made a big difference in this game. And the artwork is really nice. It's very unique. And I think it's something that you can play with a large group of people if you're as kind and (laughs) understanding as Jay was in teaching this game. And uh, I hope this hits the table again soon. So that's our At the Table with BGA. Now on to our feature review. And now, BGA's feature review. For this week's feature, Gamer FAQ, we had some new gamers ask about board gaming terms and definitions. And even if you are a hardcore board gamer, there might be some of these jargon and terminology that you're not too familiar with, or at the very least, it's fun to talk about because it's the type of esoteric language that we use all the time. So let's get into it. Anthony, there are so many different weird words and definitions and, you know, things that you and I talk about that no one would understand at all. So let's jump into some of those gamer terms and definitions. Starting off with A, we wanted to talk about abstract board games. Now, you may know about abstract board games because you hear people talk about them all the time. But you may not be sure exactly what they mean when they talk about abstract. Now, Anthony, are you an abstract board game fan? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I've been playing games like chess and checkers since I was a kid. Uh, I still have fun with them. Um, It's not, doesn't come out as much as it could. But one of my favorite games from the last couple years is The Duke. And I think that probably falls into that abstract category. Sure. 
So, I mean, abstract, when we're talking about abstract, we're talking about games with, like, literally no theme, where everything you're doing is mechanism, and you're trying to basically solve the puzzle versus somebody else who's also trying to solve the puzzle. Um, and so think of games like chess, think of games like checkers or Chinese checkers. Um, it's not a game where, like, Monopoly, for example, is not abstract because it has a very clear theme, and you know why you're doing what you're doing. So that's the major difference there. Absolutely. So we're not talking about the artwork being abstract or the game just kind of being kind of way out there. We're talking about simplistic gameplay with simplistic components. And if you're playing an abstract game, typically it's going to be, as Anthony said, a timeless game like chess, checkers, or go. So that's abstract board games. Now, another definition we want to talk about is action points. Now, this comes up a lot of times in games, especially Euro games, where you only have a limited number of points each turn. And those points actually allow you to take special actions, and that's why they're called the action points. So sometimes this is kind of underneath the radar a little bit, but action points do play a big role in a lot of different games. So, I mean, action points definitely all over the place. Um, another one that we, we probably say a lot, we don't actually use this word, but you probably hear it, is Ameritrash. I think we whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't say that too loud. Daniel's going to hear you. <laughs> Ameritrash. Ameritrash. <laughs> We've kind of uh, mixed that up with Americlash. I know that uh, Tom Vassell uses another variation on it. Basically, it's a game with a ton of theme, tons of luck, you can't really solve it. Just stuff happening everywhere. Think of the big thematic board games you see, like Battlestar Galactica or Arkham Horror. Just stuff everywhere. Fantasy flight games. Everything they do. Ameritrash. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, now speaking about Ameritrash games, let's talk about area control board games. Anthony, do you have a favorite area control game? Um, I, I really like Kemet, I think, as like a recent uh, area control game. Sure. It's not, it's not pure area control, but, I mean, that's obviously how you win the game. So yes. that's, that's one of my favorites. But this is a mechanic that goes way back. So, I mean, it can be anything from Axis and Allies, Old School and Risk, yes. up to games like Kemet. And that was one of the first games that got me interested into hobby board games was Risk. I love area control. And then I picked up Small World, which is another great area control game. And that was my first kind of love of a mechanic. You know, when people would go around and go like, hey, man, what mechanics, what, what do you like to play? I'm like, area control games, man. I really love area control games. So I, it has a sentimental kind of feel for me. So, Anthony, have you ever heard the term beer and pretzels game? Does that actually include beer and pretzels? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is one of those things. Like, I, when I first got into board gaming, you hear all this jargon all the time, listen to podcasts, and people don't really explain it. In context, it makes sense, I'm sh you know, obviously. But there's a lot of these terms where, like, until you actually see what they're talking about, like, oh, I get it. It takes some time. So Beer and Pretzels, it's super random game. It's super lighthearted, kind of goofy, silly. Think games like Munchkin, super laid back. Like, maybe some strategy in there. Any good game has a little bit of strategy. But it's it's a game you could drink a beer and eat some pretzels with and not immediately lose because you're drinking <laughs> so it's games that doesn't take all your attention doesn't take all your brain power and it's not necessarily games you're playing at a bar right but yeah it's definitely that kind of game where you can kind of split your attention a little bit yeah so if you're like me and you don't drink beer but you do like pretzels and someone says you want to play a beer and pretzels game no need to worry they're just talking about a light game 
and you should absolutely jump into that type of game if you're interested in those things. Now, Anthony, let's talk about another mechanic that we really enjoy, card drafting. Do you have a favorite there? Card drafting works so well in so many different types of games, and I think Seven Wonders is the easy one. Um, favorite from the last year, though, is Imperial Settlers, and the, the idea here is that Everybody has a common pool of cards they draw from, but you have an advantage in that you get to pick the card first from the cards in your hand, and then you're going to pass them to the person to your left or right, and then they're going to pick from what's left over. And that's how you build your hand. And that's there's a lot of board games that use that. There's also tournaments that use that. So like you get booster drafts um, for games like uh, Magic the Gathering, where they'll, everybody will buy booster packs and then do a draft. Card drafting is really cool because it, it randomizes to a degree, but you can kind of build a strategy out of what's in your hand at any given point in time or take it away from someone else. So it's a fun one. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And recently I got to play Agricola, which some people use the drafting mechanic to actually build a starting strategy. And for the game that we played, because we were under such time constraints, we didn't draft. And I really, really did miss it. And card drafting, man, that's one of my favorite mechanics. Now, speaking about card drafting, let's talk about CCGs. Now, what is a CCG? And I don't know. Do I want to get it? <laughs> Probably not. Okay. No, it's <laughs> is there a vaccination or something? What can I do? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Talk to um, your doctor if you have CCG. <laughs> I don't know. I think LCGs are a pretty good vaccination for CCGs. Oh, okay. There um, you go. Collectible card games. This ah. is Magic the Gathering. This is Pokemon. This is Yu-Gi-Oh. This is where you have to go spend a bunch of money to get the cards <laughs> you need to compete at any kind of considerable level. Uh, certain cards are rare. Other ones are special versions. Other ones are just important to the deck strategy. And then usually on top of all that, a CCG will have new sets released every now and then. So it's not good enough that you go spend all the monies the first time. You then have to do it again three months later. If that sounds a little cynical, it's because I've been down that rabbit hole and I don't want to go back. Um, there's a lot of people who have a lot of fun with these games. There are some tournaments where you can win a lot of money at these games. And there are still some games that come out using this. Uh, Dice Masters is a collectible card game or dice game, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's collectible. Um, it's yeah, expensive. There are, there are ultra rares that you cannot find. So that's... That's how you know it's a collectible card game is when there's some card you cannot find but absolutely need or you're going to lose. Yep. CCGs, man. They're amazing and they are the bane of most people's existence. It's definitely one of those lifestyle games, which probably we should talk about too. Lifestyle games where you play a game that takes over your life <laughs> <laughs> or is just that one game that you play all the time and just that one game. Ah, all these terms kind of blend in together. So let's talk about some smaller things. Anthony, tell people about chits. A chit is really anything smaller than, let's say, your fingernail that is used to count or denote or mark something in a game. So think of GMT games, those big hefty boxes. They have the coin series. They have games like Thunder Alley. Great games. Uh, the components are a little different than what you'd find in some other more polished uh, board games. And they're just full of tiny little chits and cardboard pieces. And when you punch them out, there's you end up with a big giant pile of cardboard and you don't even know how to organize it. <laughs> those are chits. And those are used to count up whatever you're doing on the board. Um, it's kind of a universal term. It can apply to anything. But sure. it's, if it's tiny and cardboard, it's a chit. Yeah, if you ever played a game of Trajan and you just dump out all the chits on the table and you separate them by color or... It's, it's a chit game, man. It's chits everywhere. And sometimes you'll hear chit 
kind of connected with fiddly. And maybe we should talk about fiddly too, Anthony. What about fiddly and shits? <laughs> fiddly is... This is one of those terms that I heard for a long time when I first started playing board games, and I never quite figured out exactly what it meant. Um, I know now, but it took some time. Like, we were podcasting for a while before I figured this one out. Talk about jargon, right? Yeah. Um, fiddly is... That's another one of those universal terms that I think people use across a lot of different things, but sure. it basically just means that the game has a lot of upkeep. There's a lot of things going on. you got to move a lot of pieces around. You can't just... Like, San Juan is the opposite of Fiddly. You sure. have cards, you play cards, that's your... That's, it does everything. It's one card down. It's the least Fiddly game you'll play because there's nothing to keep track of. There's nothing to move or anything like that. A Fantasy Flight Meritrash game, however, like Arkham Horror or something, is Fiddly as heck because there's pieces everywhere and you got to move <laughs> all of them every turn and they end up in a pile on the side and you're digging through it trying to find that one stupid poison or madness token. You don't know where it went. Anytime you spend more time organizing or digging through components and actually playing the game, that's a fiddly game. Sure. Yep, 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 yep. Well, speaking about all those chits and fiddly games, this is a big part of what we do. Let's talk about designer board games or designer games, Anthony. Yeah, so we we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago on our... uh, top designers episode but designer game means it's more of an expression of that individual's you know their design style and what they're kind of trying to build like the name of the designer will be on the box and you start to think of the game as a feld or a rosenberg um whereas old school board games like monopoly unless you've read about the admittedly very interesting history of monopoly you don't know who designed that game you just know that uh, hasbro prints it and you can find it at toys r us Designer board games are more, they belong to that designer. They might be released by any number of different publishers, and you'll know the game and the designer by, by what you get. Yep. And if you've been listening to our podcast, you've been listening to a podcast almost completely about designer board games. So you're in the right place. Now, we're talking designer games, but there is something beyond just the chits. How about dexterity games, Anthony? Do you have any favorites there? You know, I don't play a lot of dexterity games, honestly. Any game that requires physical skill. Uh, <laughs> it's not, apparently, it's not up my alley. Um, uh, I think I had a, a rather unhappy uh, run-in with Pitchcar when that was part of a tournament a couple years ago. That, that was it. I'm like, no more of these. I'm done. Yeah, your classic game would probably be something along the lines of Jenga, but Pitchcar is is part of that. And there, you know, Crokinole is always in the top 100 of BGG, where you're kind of flipping or flicking discs. So it's usually a flick or a pull or a dash or a drop. The Terra Meeple City is a dexterity game where you're throwing your monsters at other monsters or at buildings. So... There's some dexterity games out there that are halfway decent, but they do take a little, you know, a little practice with that. For sure. Yeah. So now, typically a dexterity game is not a Euro game. So, Anthony, talk about Euro games. Especially since we don't have Dave here. (laughs) Yeah, right? I feel like, exactly, I feel like I should defer this one. We'll have him call in. Um, (laughs) Because I'm going to get it wrong, and then he's going to call in. Right now, he's uh, thinking about how wrong we already are, and we haven't even started yet. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, those aren't even the words I would have started with. Yes. Come on, guys. <laughs> we, should uh, say, we should say, even before we start, that Euro games were once known as primarily German games. Yes, which is even now still very accurate. Yes. <laughs> like American Euro, you can tell it's made in America. 
a Euro game, it's it's a more economic focused game. It's more about resources and moving them around and managing your actions. It's not necessarily thematic, but it doesn't mean it can't be thematic. It's usually, there's not going to be player elimination, for example. It's going to be turn-based. Everybody's going to get the same number of turns by the end of the game. It might have any number of any other mechanics in it, but at the end of the game, it's whoever builds the best strategy and executes it the most effectively throughout the entire course of the game. And that's what makes it so different from a, like an America trash game, which is usually pretty heavily reliant on luck, which means you could have the best strategy and still lose because you rolled the dice wrong. That's not how a Euro goes. This term over the years has fluctuated a little bit because, as you were saying, American Euro games tend to have a little theme to them, so it's a little difficult. But as you said, Euro games are what we do, what we love to do most of the time. And especially no player elimination, a reduction on luck and chance, and typically a reduction on dice, but not always. You can have dice in a Euro game. But uh, Euro games are outstanding. We love them. And please, 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 Dave, don't don't call in. (laughs) We're sorry. We know we already got it wrong, but we love Euro games, and we'll have you back on, and you could have a whole episode just talking about Euro games. But now let's talk about family board games. Anthony, you got a family. Do you game with them? I do. All right. Yeah. Done. My, uh, Next one. Yeah. <laughs> games you play with your family. Duh. <laughs> I mean, family board games are tough because there are children's board games. Those are obvious. They are painful. They're designed for kids. Um, then there's family board games, which really it can be a slightly more complicated game, but it's supposed to be the, the general idea is that it's accessible people who aren't gamers or who don't game very often could sit down and learn the rules in like five minutes and feel comfortable playing the game so it could be any number of hobby games that we enjoy we talked about bonanza earlier that could be a perfectly fine family game a lot of people could pick that up pretty fast uh, smash up's another great one but it could also include you know more typical fare like life or monopoly and all those mm-hmm. definitely all right so speaking about family board games how about gateway games? Those play a part in that, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's the same idea, but this is, you know, specifically trying to get people into the hobby. So you want to get them something accessible that they can quickly learn, but also give them enough of a taste so that they know there's this big, amazing world of games out there that they want to get into. You know, some of the classics have always been games like Catan and Ticket to Ride because they have just enough of the mechanics of the larger board gaming hobby but not so much that you're going to scare people away who think oh my gosh this is way too much math absolutely now another term that often comes up especially in euro games is hex now is this some sort of magic spell anthony that we would be using here yes okay good absolutely (laughs) yep if you play euro games you will be cursed um (laughs) probably by the guy you're beating it happens it happens no big deal just curse him back (laughs) now (laughs) a hex is uh, it's short for hexagon. It's a tile. It's a six-sided tile. And a lot of boards, especially in war games, it might be modular. So um, you might put the board together using hexes, either based on a specific scenario or randomly, depending on you know how the game is supposed to be set up. So it, it makes um, certain types of games where you have the same units extremely replayable because the, the way the game gets laid out is different every time. Mm-hmm. So now we talked about designer games. How about mass market board games? We talked a little bit about that too, right? Yeah, these are the ones that we make fun of. And obviously we all grew up playing them, so we shouldn't make fun of them too much. Um, but this is your Monopolies and your Lifes and your Scrabble and basically anything you'll find on your grandparents' uh, den. Um, Unless they're German. 
And then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they mock your Monopoly. These are the games you can buy at Walmart or Toys R Us or Target or wherever. They, they're super accessible. They've been around forever. Everybody knows them. I don't actually know anybody who plays them, but they're everywhere. Sure. So that's the mass market stuff. And you're not going to see the name of a designer on a game like this. All right, so typically the opposite of mass market games is something we talk about quite a lot, especially on if you like blank, try out these games. Different mechanicisms. What does that mean? Is this actually machine parts, or what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, the mechanisms are um, anytime we talk about you know, area control or worker placement, card drafting, those are mechanisms. So it's a commonly used gameplay style that you might find in multiple different types of board games. And it might be utilized differently across all those games, but the actual technical use of it is the mechanism. Um, that's one of the cool things about board games. Is the designers will go take a mechanism from here and one from here and one from here and blend them together into this brand new game that kind of pulls them all in from different areas. Concordia is a great example because that game has like five different mechanisms from games we recognize, but the way they come together is wholly unique and awesome. Sure. So we're talking about your card drafting, we're talking about your tableau building, your area control, your set collection, a whole number of different parts that kind of play together that actually make the actual game, especially if it's a Euro game. Now, one of the other parts of the game that's not really part of the game or shouldn't be part of the game, but often is part of the game I don't know, man. I'm just getting all meta about this right now. Can you talk about meta games? Ah, uh, meta. 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 Meta is when you think too much. <laughs> Stop thinking so much. All right, I'm trying. Now, what about <laughs> meta gaming in games? Uh, meta gaming. It's 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 when you make decisions that go beyond the basic mechanics of the game. If you're thinking five turns ahead, or you're making decisions based on what somebody else is going to do, or if you're building a strategy based on what you think the other person's strategy might be based on which cards they probably have in their hand, that's metagaming. Sure. Um, and because you heard how many times I said based on and how deep <laughs> of a sentence that was, that's also metagaming. Yeah, so I see what you did there. It gets confusing. At the same time, if, if done well, if done right, in the case of like a CCG where metagaming is required, it's actually a lot of fun yeah. because you get to build decks that way and you get to tweak your strategy that way. Uh, it can also be exhausting in games that don't really deserve it. So, <laughs> you know, you've got to be careful with that. Yeah, and unfortunately, it does take a dark turn sometimes when people metagame where they actually take the game too far. Like, you might have somebody who's just in a bad mood and taking it out on you, or somebody, let's say you play a co-op game with a trader mechanic, and then the game comes to an end and it turns out you were the trader, and then you play another game like that, and they're like, oh, you're the trader, you're definitely a trader. You're like, but no, it's a new game. And they're like, no, you were the trader last time. And you're like, why are you doing that? Why are you going beyond the game? And as Anthony said, some good stuff, some bad stuff, a lot of odd stuff. Just be careful with the <laughs> metagame, man. It just It's all over the place. It's crazy. Now, another crazy part about the gaming industry has to be miniatures gaming. Anthony, did you ever get involved in miniatures gaming? Not once, ever. <laughs> <laughs> well everybody knows i'm lying um, <laughs> i love miniatures uh it's i mean miniature like this is actually kind of a broad term yes. now. it used to just mean you know mostly war games yes. where you had miniatures representing units or um, warhammer and things like that yeah, yeah so like heavy duty games where you'd measure all your pieces in millimeters and would actually know the differences between all those and have to paint everything and i love that part but 
you had to paint everything. Sure. These days, it's it's a little more broad of a term because so many different types of games use miniatures. Yes. Uh, when we say miniatures game, usually we're talking about you know a one-on-one type of battle game, but it doesn't have to be that anymore. It's a game that uses miniatures as the primary mechanism mm-hmm. for the game. So. Yeah, I remember years ago when you walk by a game store and you see all these people with tape measures out and these just kind of big boards with like moss kind of like glued all over it. You're like, ah, that's a miniature game. Ah, I'm never going to play that thing. And then next thing you know, X-Wing miniatures and Star Trek Attack Wing and and now everyone's playing miniature games and Zombicide. There's miniatures in that too. So miniatures games are hardcore heavy battle games and yet they've kind of experienced you know, expanded and spread out and thinned out a little bit. So don't be surprised if you're not involved in a miniature game. Don't be surprised if you're involved in a miniature game in the near future. All right, Anthony, let's go a little bit beyond the miniature game. What about a party game? What What's the definition of that? It's a fun game where you have to talk to people. So it's like our worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually playing Apples to Apples last night. Oh, man. Um, I thought it was funny because we went out just after work for like a half an hour. There was a bar nearby. Um, and they, they'll brag about like, oh, we have Jenga and oh, board gosh. games <laughs> and, uh, Smash Brothers on the giant TV, which is kind of cool. Okay. But one of the, one of my coworkers grabbed apples to apples and I was like, you guys know I'm a professional, right? It's not... <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I did talk a little smack and I did actually win, which is great. Cause when you talk like that, you want to win. Sure. Um, but, uh, it's, it's the kind of game that you could pull out in a crowded, noisy bar and make jokes about and have fun and it's not there's no strategy you don't have to overthink it you can totally metagame a party game but you really shouldn't the whole point is to have an activity while you're socializing with friends great now what about rpgs we played a couple of those right yeah i mean our rpg guy is at his sister's wedding right now but I'm happy to step in. There you um, go. That's what Daniel does. He volunteers me. For he volunteers you, man. That's what a D, yeah. that's what a good DM does. He puts you in situations yeah. where you have to act, right? Yep. Come on, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> so RPG role playing game. This is a tabletop game where you have somebody who is acting as the uh, Grand Supreme game master of everything, telling everybody what's going on, and then everybody else kind of reacts to that based on their characters and their stats. The more you get into it, the more you actually respond as your character would respond. That's where the fun actually happens. A lot of different types of RPGs. It's a huge, huge, huge open market. So uh, Dungeons & Dragons is the original, but there are thousands of other tabletop experiences out there. Hmm, great. Now, what about turtling? Now, I've, we've talked about this a little bit before, too. When does that come into play? Turtling is annoying. Turtling <laughs> is when you get yourself in a situation where you're scoring points. You know, Let's say it's in like an area control game, and you've got... You land, you get the spot you need, you're getting the points you, you need every turn, and you just load up with defensive units or st- stats or chits or whatever you need uh, so people can't knock you out of that spot. And you just kind of sit there and chill. Um, it's you, you see it a lot in multiplayer games of this type where one person might sit back in a corner and wait while other people hit each other in the face. Um, <laughs> like any good turtle, right? Yeah, exactly. Unless he's the ninja um, version. Yeah, well, that's true. It depends on which ninja, though. That's true. And finally, how about victory conditions? We talk about that a lot, especially in Euro games, Anthony. Yeah, I mean, this is whatever it takes to win the game, and it's different in every game. Um, A lot of games, it's just points, and then the game will have multiple different ways you can earn points. But it might be any number of things. It might be, you know, get to this point first. It might be a race. It might be a collection. 
aspect. It might be, again, might be have the most points at the end of the game. Uh, it's really just whatever you need to do to win the game. And some games will have variable victory conditions where you might have a goal that's different than someone else's goal. So it's all up to the designer how they're going to implement it. But bottom line is, if you want to win the game, this is how you do it. Great. Well, I think that uh, we were victorious as far as our, our board game jargon and terminologies went, huh? Uh-huh. A little bit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll give it to you. There you go. We were victorious in our future. Hooray. Hurrah. Hurrah. Huzzah. Hooah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's everything for our feature this week. Gamer FAQ, board game jargon, and terminology. So that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek. And don't forget our Patreon account. It really helps us out. And especially, we are still taking listener feedback. Just because we had episode 74, our listener feedback episode, we are not done yet. So please, if you didn't get a chance to get something in for that last episode, get something in now, this upcoming week. And we'll talk about it on episode 76 because our listeners is why we do this podcast and we want to get back to you each and every week. So hit us up on one of our multiple social media platforms or as daniel will do somehow possibly find anthony because he's our nominated volunteered person of the week yet again yay nominated volunteer i like that That's good. <laughs> well our dm is pulling strings so therefore you yeah. have to do these things you've been you know hexed and in this case not by a large piece of cardboard Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think last week, future Anthony mentioned we had a few more questions that came in right after while I was editing. Ah, okay. So we have almost a dozen such questions for next week's episode because even more came in after we were editing. Great. So if you have more, we're going to be doing it. So why not add them? Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. We'll have a whole feature part just for the questions. And we would really like to do is have our listener feedback just as a new segment each and every week. So if something pops into your head, pop on to Twitter, Facebook, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, or our Guild on Board Game Geek, and let us know so we can get back to you. And as always, don't forget to rate us on iTunes, put your questions, information, comments there. We're also on Stitcher. And of course, we're part of the Dice Tower Network, so you can find our links there as well. Until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And we will save you a seat at our grand, uh, uh, grand, I know there was something I was supposed to say here, but I'm forgetting now. I got us, I was gonna go with encyclopedia, but I don't know, maybe dictionary's better. I'm trying to decide here, I don't know what to do. Uh, what, what is that thing that you know, that thing when you can't, that thing and that you know, trying to make a decision and. And we end the episode with just a little bit of AP. 